so cardiorespiratory training is probably the most important way to train from a health perspective. Uh, if you were considering longevity, you know, we're talking about what actually powers your body. You got to get oxygen to every cell in the body in order for you to actually function and be alive. So if you're an athlete in any discipline, martial arts or otherwise, the I wouldn't say the most important aspect is cardiorespiratory training, but it's an essential aspect of training. Yeah. It's like you see a lot of boxers going to the ring. They don't have good conditioning. And after the first round, they're gassed and they can't keep fighting. That's an excellent point. I think also in grappling in particular, you're in positions where it's very exhausting trying to escape from that or even just maintain being held in that uh, position. So a lot of times it's just a matter of who's going to gas out before the other. Exactly. And they correlate that to being able to survive. So the second you don't have that ability to keep going, the person who can keep going, they're going to have the advantage and they're going to be able to keep pounding on it and you won't be able to defend yourself. So the car cardiovascular and the respiratory system, they work hand in hand where your heart pumps all of that blood throughout your body and it takes the oxygen from your lungs and they work together to you know, transition oxygen into your blood system and then get all of that carbon dioxide out. So the more effective you are at doing that and the longer endurance you have, you're gonna be able to exert that high intensity uh, for longer and that could save your life. Welcome to the Unlimited You podcast. Believing firmly in the limitless potential that resides within each individual, your hosts, Master Victor Almeida, a distinguished martial arts expert, and Andy Freebird, a holistic health coach specializing in calisthenics, nutrition, and strength training, are here to guide you in unlocking your inner power. Each episode offers practical knowledge from strength training techniques to the calming practices of meditation, tailored to enhance your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Join us on this empowering journey and embrace the warrior that lies within you. And we're back with myself and Freebird. How's it going, everybody out there? So this week, we're going to talk about the physical health benefits of martial arts and how it impacts, you know, the good body and stuff. Uh, I guess we're going to start off with the cardiovascular and the respiratory system and the effects of martial arts in your whole body. You want to you wanna start us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, so cardiorespiratory training is probably the most important way to train from a health perspective. Uh, if you were considering longevity, you know, we're talking about what actually powers your body. You got to get oxygen to every cell in the body in order for you to actually function and be alive. So if you're an athlete in any discipline, martial arts or otherwise, the, I wouldn't say the most important aspect is cardiorespiratory training, but it's an essential aspect of training. Yeah. It's like you see a lot of boxers going to the ring. They don't have good conditioning. And after the first round, they're gassed and they can't keep fighting. That's an excellent point. I think also in grappling in particular, you're in positions where it's very exhausting trying to escape from that or even just maintain being held in that uh, position. So a lot of times it's just a matter of who's going to gas out before the other. Exactly. And they correlate that to being able to survive. So the second you don't have that ability to keep going, the person who can keep going, they're going to have the advantage and they're going to be able to keep pounding on it and you won't be able to defend yourself. So the car cardio 
vascular and the respiratory system, they work hand in hand where your heart pumps all of that blood throughout your body and it takes the oxygen from your lungs and they work together to you know, transition oxygen into your blood system and then get all of that carbon dioxide out. So the more effective you are at doing that and the longer endurance you have, you're gonna be able to exert that high intensity uh, for longer and that could save your life. Yeah. I guess like what would be some of the health benefits or health improvements from doing like calisthenics or weight training uh, that you would see in your cardiovascular and your respiratory system? That's a good question. Um, the best way I can answer that, and I think this is a really important aspect of cardio training, is that you're going to adapt to the specific skill that you are practicing. So what I mean by that is that if you are running as your primary means of cardio, you're going to achieve these adaptations that give you greater endurance running, make it so that at efforts that once put you at a higher heart rate eventually don't uh, as easily, right? So you have these adaptations. But then if you go and let's say you're swimming, overall having good cardio conditioning is going to be great, but there's a specific demand imposed for swimming. So with martial arts, for example, you know, ideally tr you would want to just train martial arts for a long time to induce, you know, get your heart rate up get that cardiorespiratory training going. You can take rests. You can do it like uh, hit style, high intensity interval training. Uh, and it would be great to do other forms of cardio too. But the one that's going to be like the most useful for martial arts is going to be the actual movements mm. that you're going to use in martial arts. That way you become efficient at those movements rather than like, let's say, swimming or running. Yeah. And these adaptations are also taking place like at the level of, the, of your muscles, like the cellular... Uh, level. They're actually mitochondrial adaptations. So if you're, you know, let's say cycling all the time, you're going to induce these in the quads, but not necessarily in your shoulders, your biceps or other muscles you might use in martial arts. And that'll be a very specific movement as well. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed you talked about that uh, your resting heart rate eventually lowers and mm -hmm. that allows your system to essentially use less energy and become more efficient. That way, when you do exert a certain amount of energy, your heart rate doesn't go up as high. You don't burn as much energy because you're just more efficient at using whatever energy you have built up in your muscles and in your body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons that this is such an important aspect of longevity. Yeah. Like if, if you just train, let's say, sparring, striking, and then you go to like a BJJ gym and you start rolling, you're probably gonna gas out if you haven't done that because you're gonna be using muscles in a different way at mm -hmm. a different intensity than you would otherwise be using. Yeah. yeah. And this applies to pretty much any adaptation that you're trying to induce hmm. on the body. The fastest way to get better at that is to try to simulate that exact thing hmm. as closely as possible. You know, even if you're trying to become stronger in a certain movement, you would wanna to try to get that movement as specific yeah. as possible. Yeah like a stronger punch if you can emulate that movement. I guess that kind of leads us right into the next point, which is like muscle toning, strengthening, and mobility enhancement, mm -hmm. where the repetition of those specific exercises lead to the refinement of those specific muscle groups. And then you get muscle toning, you get strength in using those specific techniques. Like if you throw 500 sidekicks, you're gonna be better at throwing 
a sidekick, as you know, provided that you are being mindful and trying to better every time you do it. And, you know, eventually you also see an improvement in mobility where let's say you practice a sidekick at waist level and all of a sudden you start raising it higher and higher. It's going to start stretching the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, allowing you to have greater range and, you know, be able to strike higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about more in how the exercises can help strengthen and increase mobility? Yeah, sure. So first, I guess, let's talk a little bit about what mobility is and mm. kind of the, yeah. the difference between flexibility yes. and mobility, because both of these things are important, but they're a little different from each other. So to be flexible means that I could, let's say, take Victor's arm and move it through a, a large range of motion, where if he wasn't flexible, maybe it would stop here and I can get him like all the way up here. Right? Like being able to reach your hands behind your back. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But he might not necessarily have much strength in that range of motion. And so what that actually means is that his ability to produce force or resist force in that range of motion is not necessarily high. Could be, but the flexibility just means like, can we like passively move him through this? Mm-hmm. So really mobility is the, is the important aspect here. We want to be able to actually utilize these ranges of motion. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the, the functional part of it, where if you just have flexibility, you might be able to throw like a, you know, a pretty kick, but it might not be effective. It might be really weak and not do anything. Yeah, yeah. So in martial arts, like Victor was saying, by simply performing these movements like a sidekick, over time, you're kind of exploring a larger and larger range of motion because everything that actually creates that movement is strengthening and stretching each time that you actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. And and mobility can facilitate, you know, movement in self-defense. So let's say you have very tight hips and you go to throw a kick, you're going to be compromising the rest of your body in order to reach a certain level where if you've attained that mobility throughout your body, it'll be easier. You won't be compromising your form and you'll be able to deliver a strike more effectively and in a sense... I guess, better, you know, uh, than, than you would otherwise. And that comes from training the muscles and having the flexibility. And that's where I, I think mobility is, is kind of like a combination of strength, flexibility, and muscle control. Yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely the fusion of all those things. And one thing I think it's uh, important to point out as well is that with an increase in flexibility alone, you're actually increasing your risk of injury. Mm-hmm. You now have a larger range within which you can get injured. So mm-hmm. it's more important to develop strength in your range of motion the larger your range of motion is. People that have hypermobility and aren't necessarily, you know, there's various genetic conditions mm-hmm. that can cause hypermobility like Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And those people, if they don't build large enough amounts of strength to actually control their ranges, they're actually a lot more prone to injury than someone that didn't have that hypermobility would be. So would you say that the reason this happens is because the muscles provide better blood flow or resistance when, let's say, you get an impact, the muscle it, has It's force push. resistance, yeah. So remember, like, strength isn't just the ability to produce force. It's also this, the counterforce, can it be resisted, mm. right, as well. So if you're extremely mobile, but you don't have strength through your ranges of motion, 
you can't actually resist force. You even just think about the force that it takes to absorb taking a step on the ground every time that you, you know, plant one foot in front of the other walking. Yeah, that makes me think of the application where we train getting hit in the abdomen. Right, <laughs> and absorbing that impact. Yeah. yeah, and you have to practice essentially tightening your abdomen at the right time, and you have to have the strength to be able to create essentially a shield. Mm -hmm. And the stronger you are, the more force you can take on without actually injuring your organs or getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, the more you train, the more toned your muscles are essentially going to be. And I guess toning comes from a combination, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of like fat percentage and muscle mass. Uh, I would say that's most of it. Mm -hmm. So that's nearly exactly right. Uh, in addition to that, though, as you pointed out with mobility, there is um, a muscle control aspect. So you have to be able to consciously solidify muscle. So in the example you gave with solidifying your abdomen, what's going on here as well is that over time through practice, you can train your mind to more strongly contract the muscle, in this case, the rectus abdominis, the six pack, as well as the underlying you know, diaphragmatic wall, transverse abdominis, all your core muscles, they're drawing really tight. Mm -hmm. So in studies that have been done on, on muscle control, most people have the highest ability in their biceps. Hmm. I think. Trying to show off. The exactly. <laughs> just because you can see it easily. You can't see every muscle and just look, try to, you know, you can touch it and yeah. see how solid you can make it. Yeah. But I would imagine like a pro bodybuilder could probably do this with, you know, almost every muscle. Exactly. Yes, perfect down. example. Yeah. Like if you look at the rock, makes his pecs Terry dance Cruz. back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Terry Crews too. Shout out to Terry Crews and the rock. It's so good. Yeah. And uh, Squat University, I was watching something where they teach you how to essentially uh, engage your core for lifting heavy weights. Yeah, where a abdominal lot of people, bracing. Yeah, well, they'll have essentially not enough strength or they don't activate their core and they go to lift and they'll injure themselves. Mm -hmm. Where if you push in here on your abdomen and you push out, you should be able to feel that hardness. Yep. And maintain that hardness throughout a whole lift. Right. And that's exactly the same premise as contracting these muscles here to absorb an impact in martial arts. Exactly. Just applied a little bit differently. Hmm. Very interesting. And uh, that kind of correlates to weight management and fat loss, mm -hmm. where the heavier you are, the more mass you have to move. It requires more muscle. And usually this is not always the case because you, you see some really big people can move really fast, but that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. But the heavier you are, the harder it is for you to move fast and well in yeah. most circumstances. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have some people who weigh like 300 pounds and can do a bunch of pull-ups, but those are very extreme cases, you know? Yeah. And that directly correlates to fat loss where the repeated training you know, constant training is going to burn fat. Um, and we usually do that through calisthenics or strength training that increases your metab metabolic rate and allows you to burn fat while you're sitting down. And that essentially enhances your physical, like the, the, the maximum output of your body so that you're not as restricted, you're not as heavy. And the lighter you are, the more effective your muscles are gonna be. So where you could do 
let's say 10 pull-ups at 180 pounds, let's say you lose 10 pounds, you're gonna be able to do a little bit more pull-ups. Mm -hmm. And let's say that, that was mostly all fat that you lost, you were gonna become more efficient at those movements. Yeah. Yeah. And do, do you wanna speak more about like how uh, calisthenics and strength training can really benefit the, the weight management and your fat loss? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I'll probably start with um, just explaining the relationship between uh, like size and strength essentially, right? Which is in the example that Victor gave about losing weight uh, and doing pull-ups, what's happening is that your strength to weight ratio is increasing. Mm. So in general, the lighter a person is, the higher their potential for strength to weight is which is why most body weight world records for body weight strength are actually held by children. Hmm. They're held by usually by child gymnasts because they're, yeah. they're so light, but they, they can just be all muscle, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, but then on the other end of the spectrum, the records that are held for the, the most, what we call absolute strength, hmm. which means like, what's the heaviest object you could pick up? Those are held by the heaviest people typically, or extremely big heavy people. If you look at, like, think about like the mountain from Game of Thrones. Yeah. He, I think was two time, world's strongest uh, man you can check check out and see at least once yeah right? like yeah and I, how to you know what is that guy like seven feet tall or something <laughs> crazy literal mountain yeah yeah so what you want to do is you want to have low body fat right um and it's is for men the athlete range is considered about eight to twelve percent mm -hmm. body fat and for women it's going to be a little higher because if you get too lean um as a man or a woman you start to impede a hormone function. It's mm. gonna have a bunch of different adverse side effects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's this certain disease, I forgot the name, where you have almost no body fat and it can actually become painful and sitting and doing normal movements. Oh man. Yeah. I can't even imagine. So I, I've been, I think, as lean as like 5% body fat. Um, that's hard to get there. It's, it's hard to get there. And it was, at first, it didn't feel too bad. And it was like after like, I want to say three, four weeks that I was like, I hit a wall. I just wanted to eat everything in sight. Probably had, that had to be the most calories I ever consumed was like the, the few weeks after I hit that wall. <laughs> just, yeah, could not yeah. stop. Yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question about calisthenics and uh, for weight loss, I think a lot of people have this misconception that there's cardio exercises and then there's other exercises for building strength. That's not actually true. In order to burn calories, you just have to move. And the problem is that when you have weight that's heavy, you hit the wall you hit first is muscular failure. So that impedes you from like really getting to a high heart rate, right? Mm -hmm. Where with the cardio exercises, what we're going for is getting to that maximal heart rate. The heart and lungs is primarily what we're training. So with body weight movements, you can also use this to burn a lot of calories because they're low resistance. Mm. And the way you want to do this, like I was explaining before, if you're trying to be good at martial arts, you don't need to necessarily have the endurance to like bike a long way. You need to be able to like throw a lot of kicks, throw a lot of punches, resist somebody trying to pull you in different positions. Yes. And so it makes the most sense to do bodyweight type exercises. They're going to simulate the movements they're doing in martial arts in a style that we call high-intensity interval training. So mm -hmm. when you do get gassed out, you're going to rest a little bit. And this is really important because to really build efficiency, you actually don't want to be at 100% mm -hmm. uh, of your maximal heart rate. Mm -hmm. When you do that, 
you actually impede this adaptation called stroke volume, hmm. which is how much blood does your heart pump like per pump. That adaptation actually takes place more efficiently at like about 80%. Mm -hmm. When you're firing at 100, the heart doesn't even have time to like fully open and, and fill to its full volume. It can it's, be dangerous. It, it can be dangerous too, which is an excellent point. Yeah. So if you don't have any kind of underlying conditions like for your heart, for example, you can and should go to 100 sometimes. Yeah. But if you do have a problem, you should never go to 100. And even if you don't have any issues, you shouldn't go to 100 all the time. Yeah. That's dangerous for anybody. A short amount of time if you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something you were saying made me think about the correlation of strength training calisthenics to the metabolic rate and how it eventually increases your metabolism so that you're burning through the food that you eat a little bit faster, you're burning through your fat as you sit down. Can you talk more about that? Um, well, so the primary factor in uh, metabolism, like as far as how many calories you burn in a day is gonna be your activity level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more that you move mm -hmm. and the higher intensity that movement is, like the more calories you're gonna burn in that day. Uh, now, over time, your metabolism can raise via a number of factors. Um, the primary thing that's going to raise your metabolism, like, so having, having a high metabolism isn't necessarily a good thing because the people with the highest metabolisms are actually obese. Mm. You think about what fat actually is. Mm -hmm. It's energy potential. Yeah. You're like storing all this energy around yourself like a potential battery for your body to tap into. Mm -hmm. So if you have too much of it, your body's going like, we need to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. It's not efficient. As Victor, you were saying earlier about uh, being heavy and, and doing calisthenics, mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot of energy to like yeah. move a big heavy body around. Yeah. So your body's like, this isn't efficient. Like we need to, we need to burn this all off. Mm -hmm. And typically people that are like super skinny, they actually have very low metabolic rate. Interesting. Yeah. Muscle will raise your metabolism because it has a lot of blood flow. Okay. So what you would want to do is have like, you know, a higher metabolism because you have low body fat. Mm -hmm. You're like carrying a lot of muscle, yeah. but not so much muscle that you're cumbersomely heavy. Yeah. Right. Like just because you are muscular doesn't mean it's to your advantage with calisthenic exercises. Like I illustrated, like the mountain is never going to beat a gymnastic kid at like a handstand pushup mm -hmm. contest. He's not going to be Usain Bolt on a sprinting contest. Either. Right, but yeah. they're not going to lift anywhere near. So you have to understand, even if you're pure muscle, mm. do you want to be better at bodyweight exercises or do you want to be better at absolute strength? Because mm. you honestly, there's a sweet spot in the middle. We could get into that at some point. I've done a lot of research on that. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you want to be the best one or the other, like now you do have to, yeah. you have to pick. Yeah. Yeah. And being in that middle gives you the strength and the mobility, which is what we're looking for yeah. in martial arts. Mm -hmm. And that increases the function of all the moves where you want to achieve speed, strength, and mobility all at the same time, which is very hard to do. And you do that, like Freebird was saying, through a high interval training, uh, hypertrophy training, repetition, speed training, which we're going to have a whole episode on speed later on, so check that out later. And it's creating that balance. And if you just lean on one side, then you're going to end up lacking on another. Uh, and would you say that the training uh, through at least 
strength training calisthenics has an impact on the bone and muscle density and your joint health? Oh, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, so any kind of resistance training is going to increase, uh, we'll start with bone mineral density, it's gonna increase bone mineral density. And what that means is essentially like your bones are harder. That translates not only to them being harder to break, but actually having higher strength potential mm. as well. So in experiments that have been done on this, the resistance level that induced the most efficient increase in bone mineral density was really high, like about two to three times your body weight. Oh, Most people probably can't lift two to three times their body weight if they're not athletes. That's yeah, a lot. But uh, it's a lot, but it's a really, I think a really basic like athletic standard. So if you are training martial arts, uh, I would recommend building up your, uh, your strength to that level. Uh, I would say the best measure of that is probably the squat or the deadlift. Mm -hmm. um, a person, you know, bench pressing two to three times their body weight is very difficult. Yeah. I think three times may be impossible. I've met a couple people that could do two times, but uh, two to three times is kind of entry uh, to intermediate strength level, I would say, in, in, at least as far as power lift for squat and deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good goal to have. It'll make your bones and skeleton way stronger. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they recommend that a lot for kids who are going through puberty, they're getting taller mm -hmm. and you see a lot of kids sometimes start breaking their legs because they're, they're, they're growing and their bones aren't as dense. Yeah. So weightlifting can help increase the density of your bones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways we, I, I don't know, uh, I would say this is a very different application. Mm -hmm. um, we do a conditioning where we punch hard objects and create micro fractures on our knuckles or the point of impact. Yeah. And those micro fractures then heal up denser, stronger bone. Yes. But that's a, a very different type of bone. Well, density. no, it, it's actually not that no? different. No. So. Uh, or yeah. this method. So this is a good segue to like the other thing that that maximally increases bone mineral density when they um, actually do research on this. So you think about like the actual forces imposed on the bone can be imposed by the force of impact. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be because the weight itself is so heavy that it's compressing the bone mm -hmm. in the case of like a deadlift or a squat, right? Mm -hmm. So with your, what you're talking about striking an object you know, you're striking that object with a tremendous amount of force mm -hmm. that's compressing the bone almost as if you were lifting a large amount of weight. So another way that you can maximally increase bone mineral density is sprinting. Mm -hmm. Because when you sprint, you collide with the ground about two to three times the actual weight of your body. Mm -hmm. And that's enough force to actually create greater density through pr primarily the posterior chain, your legs. Mm. Interesting. That's where running form really comes in, becomes very important so that you can save your knee and your ankle joints and not oh, yeah. having the wrong impact. We could do a whole episode on that running. Because yeah. that's one I, I really <laughs> am passionate about that one. So, yeah. yeah. And exercising also increases the muscle density where let's say you, you, know, you don't lift, you're not doing calisthenics or push-ups, you're, you're not gonna be able to you know, have as much padding for defense and let's say you have these really bulky people. Sometimes you, like, for example, Bruce Lee, he was not the biggest guy, but mm -hmm. he was exceptionally strong yes. because his muscle density was off the charts. Yeah. 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 So we're talking here about uh, hypertrophy mainly. Yes. So, you know, we're throwing around some terms that not everyone may be familiar with. So 
take a moment just to define. So hypertrophy is what we call an increase in the cross-sectional diameter of the muscle. Mm. It just means that if the muscle is getting thicker, like mm -hmm. if we actually like were to measure it along the cross-section, the thickest part of the muscle, is it enlarging over time? So the most clear example, of this would be like a professional bodybuilder. Mm. They have prioritized hypertrophy, which is muscle density over everything else. And speaking of Bruce Lee, shortly before, or I guess at the time of his death, mm. um, he was becoming very interested in bodybuilding and hypertrophy training. Mm. He realized that he had a limitation in uh, his overall mass mm. and he wanted to actually become a little bit larger. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, like mass moves mass, which is the whole reason that like absolute strength increases. Mm -hmm. So as it pertains to how hard you can punch or kick, mm -hmm. if you are more massive, you can transmit more force. Yes. Bruce Lee had incredible control over his body. Yes. So despite not being particularly massive, I mean, what do you think he probably weighed 140 or something like that, if even? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but... I would, I would guess somewhere between like 135, 145 for Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. But the amount of force he could generate, if you ever watch his famous, like uh, with the six inch punch and the one inch punch, yeah. is unbelievable, mm -hmm. the efficiency. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot through technique as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the muscle density becomes extremely important when taking an impact, when in supporting your joint health as well. Mm. Because let's say, for example, I've just recently hurt myself landing from a very far jump. If I had stronger leg muscles when I had landed, I would have been able to take that impact more on my muscles mm -hmm. rather than, let's say, my tendons. So yeah. uh, having stronger muscles, especially, you know, shoulders, knees, elbows can really reduce the potential for injury in martial arts and in exercising and in everyday life too. And how would you say that correlates to joint health? Well, so there's, there's one more uh, protective benefit that I think is uh, really important. Uh, I want to illustrate too. Yeah. which is hypertrophy of the neck is extremely important in combat sports yes. and any kind of contact yeah. sport as well. So that includes like football, rugby. You look at how these guys train, they actually do training specifically for their neck because yes. it, will, it will act as a shock absorber for your, your brain ultimately mm -hmm. uh, within the skull. So it's not just a matter of like being uh, a good fighter. It's a matter of safety, like protect the brain at all costs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Like Formula um, One drivers, they exceptionally train the neck. Oh, really? A lot of G-forces, you can't huh. hold your head up after a certain point. You take mm -hmm. two, three laps in a full-speed F1 car, the majority of us, our neck muscles would be dead after that. And these guys are doing like 70 laps, taking four or five Gs. They're essentially flying an aircraft. I never thought of that, but that yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So and, as far as like joint protection, yeah. having a stronger muscle can put more of that tension into the muscle belly, which is gonna be further from the joints. Think about like any movement, you, you move between extension or flexion of that joint. So the joint angle closing is gonna be flexion, the joint angle opening is gonna be extension. And the more that we can bring the tension into the muscle belly, which is usually like the intermediate point, right? The less we can have that tension here, we can kind of use this to keep it off of there. Yeah, and as you age, that allows you to keep your mobility. As you know, things start to deteriorate, if we can take this 
stress off of the tendons and the ligaments and put them into the muscle yeah. and keep the, the muscle strong, that's going to increase your mobility as you age. And we'll get yes. more of that later. Yes. Uh, we do want to actually strengthen the joints as well, the connective tissue as well. And connective tissue doesn't get the same amount of blood flow that muscle tissue does. So mm -hmm. it takes a little bit longer to adapt and it takes a little bit longer to recover from mm -hmm. as well. So you always want to be mindful of that. You may be able to muscularly tolerate a really high amount of frequency and volume of training, but not realize that it's causing your joints to become inflamed or degrade even. Yeah, yeah. And maybe when you feel it, it might be too late. Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, be mindful of that. Like I rock climb every week and there's so much strain on the connective tissue, it primarily in my hands and forearms that I only do it once a week. Like mm -hmm. I feel the rest of my body, my muscles, I don't even get sore. Mm -hmm. My, my muscles don't it's even get sore. It's all in the fingers and wrist. It's all just my fingers and tendons. Yeah. And I try to climb really hard so I can like induce that adaptation. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll like be there for hours until I'm just like worn out completely. And then I'll go, okay, even though my muscles feel totally fine, I'm going to give this a whole week of nutrition and sleep to yeah. rebound from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if you don't do stuff like that, your connective tissue is going to be weak and mm -hmm. then you're going to be even more prone to injury. Yeah. And uh, I've also seen a correlation between, uh, you know, physical exercise, especially martial arts training and the way we do it and improving of sleep and energy levels where when I first started really training, we, you know, you could maybe go like an hour or two and then you'd be completely dead mm -hmm. by, you know, let's say year four or five, that became a warm up, and it would be four or five hours of high intensity training that then I would start to feel it. Then, you know, I would have my energy would be, would feel infinite almost, you know, not necessarily, but from what it used to be. And then I'd get home, I'd be completely tired, and I'd pass out like a baby and sleep for like eight, 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, have you, do you know any correlation between essentially exercising and the benefits of oh, sleep? Yeah, and Totally. Yeah. Well, you think about it, when you're exercising, the demand for energy production and efficiency of, you know, oxygenation, like we talked about with the cardio uh, training, is much higher than when I'm just walking around doing, you know, things that aren't that strenuous, right? So the whole system is like optimizing over time. You're inducing these adaptations that don't just make you better at running or climbing or doing pull-ups or throwing punches, whatever it may be, everything you do is being enhanced. You're, you're actually getting, you're becoming more efficient at tissue oxygenization and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big part of it. And I also think that at least for me, like I always had trouble falling asleep. Hmm. Like I, I would stay up too late, have a lot of insomnia. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that struggle with that issue in particular. I find that if I don't burn a certain amount of energy, in a day, it's pretty hard for me to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's also a lot of mental benefits mm -hmm. to working out and to martial arts, right? And I think that's part of having more energy too, because sometimes it's, it's like somebody says they're drained, they're tired. It's like, well, are you, are you physically tired? 
Mm. Are you mentally tired? Mm -hmm. Is it both? Yeah. There's different elements to that too. Absolutely. If you go too far with training though, you'll have, start to notice an opposite effect. Yes. You start overtraining, you wake up and you're like, I need to go back to sleep for another couple hours. Mm -hmm. You'll know. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where, you know, overtraining can become a real detriment. And yet, like everything else we do, there just has to be a good balance in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that essentially kind of affects your immune system and your ability to prevent diseases. So where, you know, you're exercising, you're, you've increased all of these, the blood flow, the ability to, you know, convert oxygen into your blood system. Uh, you're increasing all of these things in your body. I've also noticed that throughout my training, I've been healthier where, you know, let's say like 10 of my students get sick. I might get a little sniffle for a few days and they're bedridden for like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so like my resistance to getting sick also increased. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Uh, if I could share a little bit about yeah. uh, my, my childhood, actually. So I used to get sick every year. And for whatever reason, it would always be like right before Thanksgiving. Oh, it was like an annual, and I would like feel it coming. I'd be like, I know it's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I didn't really exercise a whole lot hmm. when I was a kid. I was more interested in art, so I would spend most of my time drawing. Then once I started exercising as an adult, I basically stopped getting sick at a certain point, mm -hmm. and I've only gotten sick twice hmm. in the last eight years nice. of my life. Yeah. So I don't want to share that story with everybody so you understand, like, I've gone from one extreme to the other. I actually, I've actually lived both these scenarios. Yeah. And the, the difference that being physically fit and healthy makes is, like, unbelievable. It's, it's it, a very extreme difference, really, black and white, night and day. Yeah. Yeah. And before I really got fully deep in my training, um, I actually went to the hospital for uh, stress-induced stomach issues and you know after i changed my diet after i increased my my training regimen i started taking care of the things i was putting in my body i've had a very similar experience where you know since probably in the last 10 years maybe eight years i can't really think of exactly when i've probably gotten sick like three times once was with covid and then another i got a flu uh and I was only out for like a day or two. One of one of my two was was the cove. Yeah. Also, you know, it got me too. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know that directly correlates with our digestive system as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, where yeah. a lot of the the things we're taking into our body, you know, they're breaking down in your stomach, and your the all that bacteria in there is responsible for you know, keeping you healthy, essentially. Mm -hmm. it, it improves your ability to digest food. It improves your immune system literally directly by, you know, let's say you get sick, you yeah. have the ability and the certain bacteria to help manage that. Yeah. 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 And that gets increased, in my opinion, and maybe you have, uh, you've done some research on this, mm. where you know, the exercise and living that healthier lifestyle can really benefit that. 
Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, so the main thing is diet mm -hmm. when it comes to the gut. You, there's nothing, you know, there's a lot of things on the market that can improve your gut health, like probiotics, various supplements, but none of those things will help you if your diet is unhealthy. That's yeah. by far the most important aspect and cutting out things that are unhealthy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, even when it comes to food, you can't think like, oh, well, if I eat a bunch of blueberries and strawberries today, it outweighs me drinking a liter bottle of soda. Yeah. That's so it's, big it's mainly cutting out the things that are unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I was drinking a lot of coffee, soda, and well, those were really the big two. So I had a lot of acid going into my stomach. Mm. I would eat acidic foods mm. and that changed the content of my stomach. It, it was just acidic all the time. Mm. And then on top of that, I was drinking sugar, which goes right into my system. And so I'm, I started to get pretty chubby. <laughs> so when I cut both of those out and, you know, I still drink coffee, but not four cups a day. I drink like one. And, and coffee is not bad for you, by yeah. the way. It's just acidic. So yeah. with Victor already having a, his pH off in the, in the stomach, just really made it worse. Exactly. Exactly. And I was eating like acidic foods on top of that. So it was just compounding. And, you know, once I became more conscious about the foods I was putting into my system, it started to make me feel better. I started to feel healthier, have more energy. And that was probably the biggest thing that I did to get me on course. Yeah. yeah. Putting out what was actually throwing your gut out of whack the most. Yeah. And what we'll get, we're having a whole episode on nutrition and the dietary things. So we yeah, can, there's like, a lot down. to talk about with that one. Yeah. For sure. yeah. And it, it's super important. So it really deserves its own yeah. uh, episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the biggest changes for me was cutting out soda and juice. Hmm. Yeah. I was never like a huge soda drinker. Yeah. Um, I've actually, I've been eating really healthy for a long time now that, I, now that I think about it. But when I was a kid, it was like the worst. Like just like chicken nuggets and like Girl Scout cookies was like my daily <laughs> diet basically. Like, yeah, I have a sweet yeah. tooth. It's hard not to like have <laughs> little sweets all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Absolutely. I mean, I do, I do love sweets too. Yeah. Yeah. Just, don't do it every every day. <laughs> Don't eat sugar all day. Yeah. Don't like all I can say on that, and then I guess we'll move off of nutrition. Is like, at least for me, if you never ever eat ice cream or a cookie or anything, it's like, yeah, you got to live a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it'll help you do all these other healthy things if yeah. you're like not depriving yourself. Exactly. You know, you know enjoying like your life. Like, yeah. Yeah. At Fair Academy, we believe every person has unlimited potential waiting to be unleashed. Join our academy and discover your inner power through disciplines like Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, martial arts weapons, and more. Our experienced instructors empower you with the skills, strength, and wisdom to become an unstoppable warrior. Train in a focused, inclusive environment where you'll progress quickly. Learn meditation, nutrition, and breathing techniques to develop a balanced body, mind, and spirit. Uncover your true potential and prepare for life's challenges at Farah Academy. Start your journey. Visit farahacademy.com today. And I feel like those, all of these things we've talked about have a direct correlation to essentially your brain and your cognitive functions. So, mm -hmm. you know, the 
the more you exercise, after you exercise, you have like this rush of endorphins. And I, I can often think clearer. So mm. especially if I exercise earlier in the day, I won't feel tired around three or four o'clock. I'll have mm -hmm. like this boost of energy. I'll be able to think clearer. I'll be able to focus better. And I've noticed that I also think faster. Yeah. Where I'm not as lethargic in my in my thinking because like I'm more active. I'm, I'm more focused and ready for mm -hmm. things. So I become more efficient in the things I do. Yeah. And I, I think that is really underestimated in creating a really healthy lifestyle is you start thinking better. Yeah. And, you know, have you experienced the same? I absolutely have. That's actually one of the biggest appeals to me about mm. going to the gym or exercising, or, you know, whether I'm trail running, lifting weights, climbing, whatever it is, is I get into that endorphin release. Mm -hmm. I find that it's most powerful with cardio. I can reach it fastest. Mm. Um, and actually, for whatever is an elliptical machine, that's the fastest way that I can get to that, uh -huh. that high sensation or what they call a runner's high, yeah. where it actually, when you reach that point, for, so for you out there who might not be familiar with this term, a runner's high, if you push yourself really hard running, you can kind of break past this point. We almost get a second wind. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you're on a drug. It's like this, it feels like you're in a state of bliss. Yeah. You might even cry tears of joy. Yeah. It's so blissful feeling. Absolutely. Um, so I can reach that fastest with an elliptical for some reason, even faster than running. Maybe because my arms, my upper body is like also mm. being taxed and, and moving, not just my legs. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as like the after effect, something that people should be mindful of is that just like we talked about sleep being impacted by overtraining, mm -hmm. same thing is true here. If you exercise, you're probably gonna have this boost in mental performance for a little while after, maybe even the rest of the day. If you really work out to the point that you're like killing yourself, probably not. You're probably gonna be pretty drained and feel pretty tired. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you get to the point where you puke, you might have a headache. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I, for, for me, I get that when I spar or when I roll, mm -hmm. that's probably the fastest one I get because you, you get to, when, when you have to defend yourself against somebody, you, your body releases adrenaline and oh, yeah. you get to the state where your output of energy is higher than normally training. And every time I spar, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And I'll think, get that second win. I'll be able to go for hours. I think there's an added element to sparring hmm. that you're bringing up is that like there's something about facing a human adversary hmm. that like gets your blood up almost yes. in a way that you don't get from any other means of exercise. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And in training martial arts, when you have that other person, you test yourself more. You're able to find your own weaknesses. Your, they show you your weaknesses and that's mm -hmm. how you grow. Mm -hmm. And you get not only the enhanced, you know, chemical effects of it, but you also get to learn more. And if you know, you're a person who approaches martial arts and you're trying to grow, that feels amazing as well. And this is where I think that martial arts really provides a good stress outlet where you know, you're, you're punching things, you're kicking things, you're, 
you're moving and exerting energy and it releases stress and all of these this built up energy in you it releases and it clears you out and that also has a very long lasting effect throughout your day maybe a few weeks or months depending on you know how often you're training yeah yeah i think uh something interesting that maybe you might have experienced too uh, so for those of you out there that have other creative endeavors, maybe you're an artist or a musician. So, so Victor, I don't, we haven't really talked about this. He's an incredible artist. He's actually a glassblower as well. Um, the pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could give you a tour of the, of the whole room. Um, and so, and I'm a, a musician. Um, and so what I've noticed, I'm curious if you've noticed this too, that sometimes after I get some exercise, after I go home, my creative capacity is a little bit heightened. It's a little bit easier for me to like write a song, for example, afterwards. Mm. But if I go too far, then I'm like too tired. Mm. But like just a little bit, kind of get, you know, get that blood flowing uh, and kind of have my, bra my brain woken up a little bit from exercise. Yeah. And then I'm able to, uh, at least yesterday, that's what happened to me. Yeah. Got back from a hike and I just felt my mind, body, soul was like lit up. Mm -hmm. Sat down and just immediately wrote a guitar solo. Just, I didn't even have to try. Yeah. Just kind of came out. You open that flow state. Yeah. So do you have any, any thoughts on that? Like, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I'd, uh, you know, I'm used, my, my ideal day would be if I can, like, train martial arts, blow glass, and then <laughs> you know, do all the things I love to do all in one day. You know? Yeah. And that's how the order you would do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, like, you, you feel that. Yeah. You, you just, you feel more awake. And honestly, it, like, increases your confidence level and increases your, your, you're tuning with yourself mm -hmm. where it gets the mind out of the way where you're, you're always thinking your brain is trained to run thoughts. Like we're receiving all of these thoughts all the time. And when you do your exercise, what it does is it focuses your brain on this moment. You yeah. have to focus on controlling your body in a very specific way. And it trains your mind to bring the awareness here and now. Yeah. And then you take that and then you move it to a different outlet and it makes it easier to channel it towards yeah. that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest appeals too. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty chronic overthinker. So anything that brings me into the moment is appealing. Yeah. You know, and whether it's martial arts or anything that brings you into the body, you can't really be thinking about anything else or you wouldn't be able to actually do whatever it is you're doing, yeah. whether it's a pull-up or whether it's sprinting, whether it's sparring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I agree. And getting back to, I guess, the how this affects aging, right? So yeah, I started training when I was eight and I got my black belt, I think when I was like 12. Uh, and then I, I stopped training for a little bit, got into football, went to college, came back started training again. And what I've noticed from when I was like 25 to now 35 is my body is not the same as it was. And I'm <laughs> only 35. You know, I'm, I can still do amazing things, but you know, my healing time is definitely longer. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the rehabilitation time after I exercise, I'm sore longer than I used to be. But I've also noticed that if I don't train, I'll, I'll get injured faster. Mm -hmm. I'll have more lack of mobility. I remember the first probably three months of COVID where the, the, the pandemic, 
where everything shut down. And, you know, I had to, you know, really create my own training schedule to maintain that health. Mm-hmm. And for like the first month or two, I wasn't really doing a good job. And I, I felt that difference where, yeah. you know, I couldn't move as well. My back started aching again. Yeah. And it took, you know, a lot of determination and focus. And what I've realized is that, you know, if I keep up with my training as I get older and, you know, we, we have other examples. There's, there's senior masters and grandmasters who are still training at like 70 and 80 years old. That if you keep it going, you age more gracefully. Your, your muscles retain that strength a lot easier because as you age, you're not going to be able to build muscle as efficiently as you are when you're 20 years old. And, you know, your tendons and your ligaments are going to start to become a little bit weaker. So mm-hmm. maintaining that strength throughout your muscles is going to help you age better, is going to retain your mobility, your strength, your flexibility. Uh, do you want to speak on that? Um, aging? Yeah, well, so the first thing I want to point out is that I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. So, <laughs> so, so Victor, you're 35 right now. <laughs> but, you know, the man has no wrinkles. He has no gray hair. He moves amazingly. He's high, highly athletic. One. Maybe one or two <laughs> under a microscope. So any athlete is going to start to realize what you were saying, that you start to, like, your capacity for recovery does start to decelerate a little bit. Yeah. The way I look at it is I think you can actually just get away with things when you're young that you shouldn't have done anyway. But you know what I mean? Like as far as training and athletics, there were a lot of things I could get away with when I was 20 that at 35, I know know better, but I never should have done those things anyway. Yeah. You know? Now, as far as um, getting older and losing, you know, muscle and, and bone and everything like that, the main reason that this happens is that people just move less and less. Mm-hmm. Like when you actually look at the data, like that's the main factor that's actually generating that problem. Mm-hmm. So I just, I saw a video the other day of a guy that was like 70 or, or in his 70s, at least 70, deadlifting like a huge amount of weight. Like a, a, it was like, I think at least 405, which for somebody in that age range is like unheard of. And he didn't even start doing it until he was fairly old. Wow. Like... So you can build up, they, so they did an, uh, an x-ray also on this guy to check his bone mineral density so we can like, you know, kind of uh, think back to a little while ago, we were talking about how the deadlift increases how dense your bones are. Mm-hmm. And they said he was like 99th percentile for his age. Wow. The reason was the exercise. Okay. If you lift weights, you do martial arts, you do all this stuff, you're not going to be at 70, 80 you're not going to look the way that you think people that age look. Yeah. Because when you look at people that are 70 and 80, very few of them ate healthy and, and meditated and practiced martial arts and lifted weights and connected with nature through hiking and climbing and all that stuff. Almost none of those people did. If you look at people that actually do that stuff, mm-hmm. they are still in incredible health with incredible strengths in their 70s and 80s. Yeah. And... Actually, one of the people who really got me deeper into calisthenics is, is a, a parent of one of our students. Uh, his name's Duke. He's probably in his late 50s, early 60s. Sorry if I butchered your age there, Duke. <laughs> but the man can do 12 pull-ups with a 75-pound weight attached wow. to him. 
do levers, do muscle ups with weights. It is unreal. And he's in his, I think, 60s. I'm not sure. Sorry, man. That's insane. That's <laughs> yeah. actually insane. And he said he started doing these exercises in his late 40s. Interesting. Yeah, because he wanted to stay mobile as his daughter got older. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. And now he's, he's a beast. He's a beast. I, and I myself have seen a couple examples like that hmm. in person, too. Hmm. So, you know, there are people out there. I've met a couple people uh, in their 60s that were in, incredibly strong, incredibly fit. Uh, you, you know, this one guy, uh, before I moved here at the gym I was at, I think he was 62 or something like that, and, and he could do a one-arm lever where you're, like, balanced on your elbow like this, balanced his whole body like that just perfectly. It's yeah. very impressive, yeah. Yeah. And that just comes from maintaining and progressing your training rather than giving up and saying, my back hurts. Yeah, well, so you mentioned back pain. Yeah. And so I had a, an injury not too long ago, and I've been, I would say, blessed to have never had, like, a serious injury. Uh, but there's another element to that, which is I've, like, tried to be, you know, careful mm. and take my, take my recovery and health seriously so I don't get yeah. uh, injured. But I had to be in bed for, like, a couple weeks. I, I couldn't really move a whole lot. And what I noticed was afterwards, my back was all weird and achy oh. just from not moving. Yeah. yeah. So one of the easiest ways to actually get injured is to just avoid moving. <laughs> then you're like, yeah. you're not adapted to be able to resist, you know, force on, in really any direction. One of my most recent injuries is two years ago now was from sitting. I was... I was, sit, I was working online at the time during the pandemic, everything closed. So I got an online job and I sat wrong on a chair for eight hours and I developed this pain on my mid glute, on my lower back. And when I started moving, when I brought heat into it, when I started doing rehabilitation exercises, it really started to improve. But then if I sit, if I lay down for too long, I would feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear to most people now that sitting is bad for you. Yeah. At least, you know, at this point, I think the general populace, like, knows that. When they do, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully. When they do studies on, uh, like, mortality, uh, you know, longevity, what they find is that, like, the best indicator of someone's health in old age is actually the relaxed pace of, of their walking. So if they're, they're just walking at a normal pace, meaning they're not trying to walk faster or be in a hurry, the faster that pace is, the longer their life expectancy is projected hmm. to be. So the, the less you're sitting and the more you're moving, the better. I mean, that, that's the takeaway from that data, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if you are sitting, for example, um, throughout the day, I still work as a software engineer, so I have to sit for part of my job. Uh, until we get, you know, this training thing fully going. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to get up every minimum two hours. If I don't, I, I can feel it in my body. That's a long time. I'm surprised you're going that long. That's a lot longer I than focused. I recommend. And as, as like working in software, you get in, you get in that flow state. Uh, I know, know. I do yeah. know exactly what you mean. It's yeah. like, yeah. And so, when you break it, it takes like 15 minutes just to get back down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's people out there that are sitting at their office 
desk probably way longer than that. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I, I like to get up, do squats, do some hip rotations, do movements that uh, bring in heat to my hips. Mm -hmm. Because as you're sitting, your gluteus maximus is going to sleep and a lot of your tension goes to the outside of the hips, the, the top of the, the mid, mid glutes over here. And you start feeling lower back pain, your lumbar starts to go out. So not only sitting correctly, but getting up and getting blood moving through your hips is going to help prevent that onset of pain and injury. Yeah. Yeah, I, ideally, I mean, I understand if people need to sit for long periods of time. Sometimes there's not anything you can do about that, given your particular uh, line of work. But ideally, I would say every 30 minutes to get up. That'd and be you, ideal. you don't need to do a bunch of exercises. Literally, get up, and you just want to spend a few seconds mobilizing your hips, shoulders, and spine. That's it. Mm -hmm. You can get back to it. Honestly, it doesn't need to take longer than one minute. Um, you know, when I was I, uh, before... I got to the point where I amassed, you know, all the all the knowledge and, and uh, certifications I have now. I would study every single day, and for hours and hours, and um, I just every thirty minutes, I'd set a timer, thirty minutes, set a timer, one minute, hips, shoulders, spine, set back down, thirty minutes, just. That's a good method. Yeah. You know, you have some people who have standing desks now and they can move while they're doing that yeah there's like treadmill desks yeah. all kinds of solutions yeah. but even standing for too long can be bad. i guess that's very yeah. true too i mean actually like that's something that you need to practice even standing straight standing straight we actually we talked yeah. about that me and victor went to uh had a rehab day yeah uh last week at the aquatic center so we did some uh underwater uh movements to strengthen and loosen the connective tissue in uh, the lower body and then uh, some hot tubs to kind of loosen everything further and then uh, meditate in the, in the sauna. Yeah. We were talking about um, standing meditation. Yes. You're just trying to stack your skeleton, stack your bones in the most efficient way. And uh, it's also useful to practice this sitting too. You can sit in lotus pose and do it. Yeah, yeah through our med meditation course at Ananda Village, we're learning the, the style of Kriya Yoga. And they've actually taught us that the reason that yoga was created was to allow yogis to sit in meditation longer. Interesting. Yeah, so that way you could sit longer without being in pain, stacking the spine. It's hard, and relaxing. It's hard to sit a long yeah. time. It's it, like after we come out of a 30 or 45 minute meditation, everything's all cold and sore. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's necessary. You like get up slowly. Yeah, and then some of them will meditate for like eight hours. Yeah, it's... it's it's ridiculous. That makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. They're just trying to, like, maximize the comfort and, of being able to, you know, like, the more comfortable you are, the more you can be focusing on the meditation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And as part of Kriya Yoga is a lot of energization and moving exercises that, you know, brings heat into the body, moves certain areas, and it creates that, the benefits that we're talking about that let you sit longer. And... I guess the last thing we, we can talk about here today is the increased healing time that you get from, you know, creating this lifestyle, from mm -hmm. exercising, and, you know, when you do get hurt, you have, your muscles can have better blood flow. So more blood is getting to different regions of your body, helping increase or reduce that healing time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I've, really seen uh 
the impacts of where, you know, I've, I've had a lot of injuries throughout my life. I've like fractured my spine and broken each one of my legs, one of them several times, like broken bones in my hands and things. And what I've noticed from when I was younger to when I really got serious in my training is I would get injured. And at the time I could be able to exercise with a very small injury, or I would be able to take a very, a shorter kind of absence from my training and heal quicker rather than being like out three weeks, I'd be out one week. Yeah. 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 That's what I was saying before about you can get away with more yeah. the younger you are. You know? <laughs> so I think the younger you realize that that doesn't last forever, the better yeah. that you can start, you know, because ideally we should have always you know, really prioritize recovery and injury prevention and everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the mistakes people make when they get injured is they try not to move at all. Yes. Uh, and actually the research is demonstrating that you want to continue to move that area just within whatever range you can, you know, without pain and just very slowly progress to achieving the same movement ability and, and strength that you had prior to, to injury there. But it actually accelerate healing to move. Yeah, just like when you break your arm here and you can do very gentle finger movements to mm -hmm. get blood and movement through that area yeah. to stimulate the healing. Well, and also we got to think about different types of injury, right? Because there's injury to connective tissue, to bone, there's injury to muscular tissue. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to muscular tissue, what happens is that when you get injured, your Rec the muscle tissue itself trying to recover, it doesn't always heal properly. It actually causes like scar tissue to form in, in the muscle. So there's, there's this principle, it's called Davis's law. Hmm. And what that law dictates is that whatever the direction of force is that the muscle experiences, the muscle is gonna restructure in that direction. So that in a lot of cases, it's going to restructure basically like at a cross section direction to the, the way that the muscle runs. Let's say that you have your bicep and it's running in this, the fibers are running in this direction and you don't want to have the muscle thickening in this direction. It's going to create these bands of scar tissue, this sort of inflexible matrix that keep the muscle from expanding and contracting properly. So with a muscular injury, it's especially important to make sure you maintain movement through that area so that it can structure itself at the cellular level properly mm -hmm. and not actually inhibit the muscles function over time. Because yeah, if it does that, you're gonna reduce your mobility, yep. increase your chance or even of tearing. Force output would decrease, yeah. and therefore force resistance decreases as well. Like yes. just the whole, every aspect of the muscle, flexibility and strength is gonna be proportionally compromised. Yeah. yeah. And I guess you can even say, you know, an injury, you might even feel pain from it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, same thing with like connective tissue yes. as well. Like, yeah, you need to make sure. So I actually have a connective tissue disorder. Mm. I have a genetic disorder. It's called uh, Deputrin's disease. Mm. And uh, I think it's also called Viking's disease. Oh. And it's found almost exclusively in um, people, I think males uh, of Scandinavian descent. What it does is it thickens the connective tissue on your palms. Hmm. where you receive stress. Interesting. So it's especially important for me to make sure 
that I keep my hands and my fingers strong and flexible. So because every time one of these nodules forms, I have like a couple, you won't be able to see them on camera. They're under the skin. I have a couple on this hand. I think one over here, um, as those form, it, it makes it far less flexible. Yeah. Right. Cause it's not actually like in the line of pull of the tendon itself. So it's really important for me to keep moving them all the time. Mm -hmm. If I don't, eventually it'll stay in like a contracted state. Yeah. It's if you, if anyone out there is morbidly curious, you can look at photographs of people with like advanced Deputrin's disease. Their hands are like claws, like they can't even like open them. Oh, damn. Yep. Huh. Yeah. I've actually experienced some of that feeling when I blow glass too often. Uh, like when you blow glass, let's say eight, 10 hours a day, you, you're constantly having to turn your hands. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you, let's say, if I make a vase like this big and I make five of them in a row, by the end, all of this will be so tight and hurting that it's hard to even move my hand. Mm -hmm. So I have to be very careful and not overdo it so that I don't injure my hand. And uh, one of my friends, Phil, his doctor actually showed him this exercise to pr help prevent osteoporosis where you squeeze your fingers in and out in and out and then you do your thumbs and you squeeze it in as much as you can and then out and you keep doing that Oof. about 10 to 15 times and that pain you feel in your joints is actually a little bit of that osteoporosis setting it actually feels like this position here feels like a really good stretch it is me. like it's like really stretching yeah uh in the way that i think i kind of needed for maybe all the climbing like that yes. feels great yeah and you want to keep it moving out and in and yeah. that especially after like a long day of blowing glass i do that and oh, that it really, really helps good. release that tension wow that feels great yeah yeah and especially with you know the amount of push-ups and strikes we do it gets the wrist as well so it's really important to stretch the wrist and build that wrist strength and mobility as well yeah yeah so take care of yourselves and <laughs> <laughs> seriously yeah yeah and we'll, we'll we're going to have some videos put up on our website of little exercises that you can do uh, to help rehabilitate certain parts of your body, strengthen mm -hmm. parts of your body that are commonly in pain, like, you know, lower back, especially hips, mm -hmm. knees, shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, for people who are interested, uh, we could do a video of uh, a little one minute, you know, kind of mobilization if you're sitting. Get up one minute, mobilize shoulders, hips, spine. Nothing crazy. Just get you uh, nice and buttery smooth again. Yeah. For the next 30 minute round of sitting, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We all got to do it. We all got to sit at yeah. times. So, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel it just from sitting here. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it is interesting. Like, the, the more that I uh, go through my journey with this, and that's probably true for you too, the longer I can sit. Yeah. And I can be in some weird, like, I used to have to get up, especially playing guitar. Yeah. Because you're like twisted in this weird and you're like under tension that I, I would feel achy if I didn't get up frequently. Yeah. I can just sit there now and like for like an hour straight and just get up, click pop, like ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I remember when it was probably two years ago, uh, I, I was working and sitting too long and I wasn't doing the right type of rehabilitation for my hips. And 
since I've started, you know, really taking care of that area, I can sit now through this podcast here without yeah. much pain. Where before I'd be sitting here a half hour and I'd have to do stretching while sitting here. <laughs> so definitely. Oh, well, I can relate. Yeah. Because yeah. I had all kinds of aches and pains. Yeah. So you enjoy life a lot more when you're not focusing on various discomforts, right? Hence why the whole, uh, you know, lotus pose meditation, being yes. able to sit longer. It's like, yeah, you want to focus on your meditation, not on your back aching, your hip aching, you know, you want to focus on this podcast yeah. and talking about martial arts, not about thinking I need to get up and stretch, you know? Yeah. And that, that was especially, I felt that when uh, I was traveling. So for the past two oh, years, yeah. um, my partner Caroline and I had been traveling throughout the U.S. and we'd be taking you know, six to eight hour car rides. And those were the worst. Yeah, there's not a lot yeah. like you can do. Except for just case. literally stopping. Yeah. You know, so if, if you're out there driving, if you live full time RV van life, stop every hour, hour and a half, two hours. Do yourself the favor. And I highly recommend not traveling more than four or five hours in a day if you're. Ideally, yeah, yeah. you know what was weird though is like I used to have really bad back pain on car rides. Mm. Um, I used to probably about thirty minutes to an hour in, into a car ride feel horrible. Mm. And but this was a long time ago before you know I really started uh, getting interested in improving my health. So I I drove down to visit Victor in Florida, in Miami. Yeah. Uh, last year and. Um, I only stopped, I think, once, Oof. and my and my back felt fine. And I was like, "How is this the same back?" Yeah, that couldn't get through like thirty minutes, and then it's like I just drove what ten hours or something. Yeah, and I felt that's more like sixteen. Six, oh, yeah. But yeah, it was yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. It was a really long time. I said I stopped like once or twice. Ooh, and yeah, just that's so just goes to show like you can reach a point where your back can tolerate some pretty crazy stuff, but ideally stop, yeah. get out, stretch. Like one of the yeah. things I do when I'm driving for long periods of time is I'll just literally squeeze my butt to help get that area tight. <laughs> I think I probably do, yeah, yeah. Or I'll like push against, you know how there's like the foot rest for your oh, left yeah, push foot? push with the left yeah. foot. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. I squeeze the belly and that helps get all this warm because mm -hmm. as you're sitting there, it all just goes to sleep. You're, Things get out of place. Start I, I push against the wheel and like rotate my scapula sometimes to like mobilize my the upper back, shoulders. Yeah, mm. yeah, I like that. Little things you can do without having to get up. Yeah, exactly. And those, you know, you can do them enough, and it has a big impact overall. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and cruise control is your friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can yeah. like sit in your chair symmetrically for a little while. Yeah. It definitely helps a lot. Yeah. Exactly. So. You know, take care of yourselves, get a massage, go in a sauna. Yeah, hot, hot tub, tub, walk some laps in the pool, walk yeah. backward laps in the pool. Yes. Walk sideways laps in the pool. Mm -hmm. Take care of your body and it will take care of you. Yeah. That's all we got for today. Until next time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. See y'all. Take care. Thank you for joining Victor and Andy on The Unlimited You. Make sure to visit our website, www.farahacademy.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, 
or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.